Blog Talk Radio. Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. I am so excited tonight as we have the amazingly talented comedian Tom Cotter coming on momentarily to join us. So it's going to be an awesome interview with him. As I said, it's just a pleasure to have him on and support him with his just amazing career since AGT. So I will do a nice introduction for him in a moment. I just want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. A little bit of background on myself. I started the show. I can't believe it's been almost two years now uh, with the premise in mind to create a forum where I could really bring people on in the entertainment industry to help support them and promote them. Um, I have my doctorate degree in clinical psychology, and one of the things I just really love to do is interview people. And I also love just combining my passion for the entertainment industry. I do some writing for some magazines. I'm a singer-songwriter with an album out as a solo artist. And then I have the radio show now. So if you're tuning in, please create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. You can also join us in the chat room. I do have the call-in number if anyone wants to call in. It's 805-243-1320. I am going to predominantly be focused on the interview because I am a one-person show, but if you want to post some questions in the chat room, I will try to go back there, or as I mentioned, if you want to call in. So I did take a break for a couple of weeks, and again, I just want to thank everyone for their continued support with the show as my goal is to support people in the entertainment industry as the show has really been maintaining itself even without me having an interview live in the past couple of weeks. So please check out the podcast. I've done about 170 interviews now. Since we're focused on comedians tonight, uh, some of the ones you can check out, Chris DeStefano, Joe Matarese, Mike Bichetti, just Anthony, Jim Florentine, R.C. Smith, and the list goes on. So please check out the interviews. We have hard rock bands, um, many different types of musicians, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, so all different types of people. I'm sure you could find something uh, to spark your interest. So on my show, people are going to get a really good taste of what these people's lives are like, what it's like to be in their profession. And uh, definitely I'm a huge fan of humor, um, but I do ask that people keep a couple of things in mind. Although I mentioned I'm a clinical psychologist, my show is meant purely for entertainment purposes. We will not be doing, uh, and I love to joke around, formal therapy. But if people have uh, generic uh, questions, we can always pull those into the interview. And also, I want my guests to feel that they can talk about whatever they'd like, but just to keep any uh, names anonymous, et cetera, if you want to share an embarrassing or humiliating story. All right, so let me tell you about Tom Cotter, and then we're going to bring him on the air. So as everyone knows, he recently became the first comedian to ever reach the finals on NBC's America's Got Talent. His, his uh, runner-up finish has definitely catapulted him, as he mentions in his bio, into the comedic stratosphere. But he was, to me personally, this guy has been huge even before he had AGT. He won the Seattle International Comedy, Comedy Competition. The grant, he won the grand prize at the Boston Comedy Festival, and he was also voted best stand-up at the Las Vegas Comedy Festival. He's also become a familiar face on television shows like The Tonight Show with Jane Leno, NBC's Last Comic Standing, The Today Show, and the list goes on with that. Also, credits that he has is The Late Late Show he's been on, Comedy Central's Premium Blend. Um, He also has his comedy special titled Comedy Center Presents Tom Cotter. And he was also featured in the Miramax film Next Stop Wonderland. He's also been in many amazing uh, commercials for products like McDonald's, Doritos, Pepsi, and those are just to name a few. So please check him out at TomCotter.com. We're definitely going to be promoting all of his shows tonight. He's going to be touring a lot this summer, so he will definitely be out on the road. So hopefully you can uh, check him out at a venue near you. So without further ado, let's bring him on. Hey, Tom, Hi. how are you? I'm well, and you, you forgot one credit. I'm also, uh, I was on the uh, Carrie Edelman show. I don't know if you've... Oh, um, people thank been, you, Tom. Yeah, You're very sweet. That should go at the top of the resume. How are you? Good. How are you doing tonight? Dandy, thanks. I had no idea. Well, now I know all about the clinical psychology, psychiatry part of your background, which oh, frightens yeah. me talking to you. But, yeah, you don't um, even know the You're not going to analyze me, right? We're just going to chat? Yeah, I mean... No, maybe a little bit. No. <laughs> Scary. Um, 
No, I'm just joking. You'll be fine. You're great. Hey, Howard probably analyzed you more than I'm going to analyze you on the air. <laughs> yes, he was a little more brutal than you will be, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I have a profession that I have to maintain, so unfortunately I'm pretty uh, straightforward with my interviews. <laughs> so, um Yeah, so welcome tonight. And I always like to start out, again, unfortunately, my psychology, and people like how I do these interviews, by just saying, tell me a little bit about where you grew up, tell me about yourself as a kid, what were you like, and then we'll start kind of paving the road with kind of a timeline to where you are today. Uh, All right. Uh, I'm originally from my mother's uterus. It's warm and moist. And that (laughs) was located in Providence, Rhode Island. That's where I was birthed. And okay. uh, I grew up the youngest of six kids in an Irish Catholic family, so I needed attention, wow. hence my career path. And then uh, the public schools were really brutal in Providence, Rhode Island, so my father sent all of us to private school and then college, which meant he wasn't around a lot because uh, he was working so hard to do that. And then uh, at 14, my mom died, and then my dad kind of came back into our lives because he had oh, to. And then uh, from then on out, I, I just finished up high school and went to college, got out of college, was going to go to law school, took the LSATs, and said to my dad, uh, before I apply to any of these schools, I just want to get this comedy thing out of my system. And that was a quarter of a century ago. And I have wow. not been able to rid it from my system. Right. And that's and it's wonderful because you're just, and we're going to get into all of your amazing talents tonight. But let's digress a little bit. So just, you know, as a kid in elementary school, were you the type of kid? Were you shy? Did you, you know, were you someone who was always kind of making jokes in the classroom? I mean, I'm trying to just get a little bit of a a feeling for what were you like in terms of when did you start to get an interest in comedy? Well, uh, I did act out a lot. I remember getting uh, attention at the dinner table by saying inappropriate things. And, you know, my parents would blush and giggle before they punished me. And so I thought, wow, that's kind of neat. And my older siblings would be cracking up. So I enjoyed that kind of uh, instant feedback, um, making people laugh, even as a kid. And then I went to a very conservative prep school where they didn't put up with that very much. So I was in the principal's office quite often, or the headmaster. Wow. And then... uh, uh, yeah, then in college I just uh I was kind of a political creature. So I ran for a lot of offices and uh campaigned a lot and that took speeches, so I had to give speeches, which made me very nervous. I used to have horrible stage fright. I would get acne like before I'd give a speech and digestive Really? That I won't go into detail about. Yeah, and um so that was how a huge you, hurdle. Stage fright was how, giant for me, but So how did you work on that? What did you do to kind of overcome that? Because I definitely wanted to ask that later in the show when we talk a little bit about AGT was, you know, you've been performing in front of huge audiences for years, but getting up on a stage like that, I I just can't even imagine. So what did you do to cope with the anxiety and get over that stage fright? Um, You just kind of bite the bullet. I knew Mm -hmm. that there was something that I wanted. And I knew that I had to just get over that hurdle, and I just had to suck it up, basically. But I would literally get, uh, you know, <laughs> digestive issues and acne and the jitters. In college, uh, I was, uh, as a freshman, I was I pledged a fraternity, and then I they made me be the scribe for the interfraternity council. So I had to give a report at every chapter meeting. Once a week, we had a chapter meeting. And I was way more nervous for that than for any presentation in any classroom because these are guys I looked up to and I really wanted to impress them. So I would work much harder on my speech than I ever did on any term paper or any, uh, you know, studying for any exam. And then I would get positive feedback because my speeches and my chapter meeting were not just informative, they were entertaining because I would lace them with comedy. And that kind of started the ball rolling with me really wanting to do that. Nice, nice. What were you, where did you go to um, college? I went to Denison University, which is in Granville, Ohio. And it's a tiny school, a little Division three school, 2,000 students, a little less than 2,000 students. But two years ahead of me, Steve Carell graduated. And uh, I didn't know who the hell he was in college, and I'm pretty sure he had no idea who the hell I was. And none of my friends knew who he was, which is insane because it was such a tiny little school. Wow. And everybody knew everybody. 
and it was way out in the boonies, so it wasn't like there were cliques. We were all just, you know, uh, I was a frat guy, but all he was a frat guy. He was a fraternity guy. So I, I remember seeing him when I would go see the only improv group we had at Denison perform. They were called Burpee Seedy, and I was dating a girl in it, and whenever I'd go to see them, he was kind of a wallflower, and I mean that, uh, you know, now obviously he makes $20 million a movie, but at the time, <laughs> right. he never stood out, and now he's, you know, a behemoth in the business. And do you think he can hook a brother up, the guy who went to college with him, with a little five or under in a movie or something? Right. How about that? No. Yeah, he won't. He does not given me a single role on TV or in the movies, and I'm more bitter about that than I am to losing to a wow. dog act in front of 19 million people. That's, you know, Tom, and, and I definitely want to talk about that a little later, too, because I have more kind of questions. I'm always interested in kind of the business side of the industry, and I don't hope that doesn't bore people, but I just find that fascinating in terms of, like, you're talking about the networking, and just, you would think, I just, I don't know, I just, it baffles me. But we don't want to get into the psychology of that, believe me, I could have a Haiti with that type of, uh, <laughs> I could analyze him <laughs> in a second. But, um, yeah, that's a shame. That's, but you know what, Tom? Good for you. You've proved yourself. You don't, you know, at this point in your career, I know you've worked so hard, but I think it's the hard work sometimes and just the perseverance um, and the motivation sometimes that in the end, it's like you do everything on your own. And we briefly, you know, you and I kind of had touched base on that in a prior conversation. Yeah. And I, I do I do think that holds, holds a lot of merit in the end. So. I can understand why you'd be bitter, though. Believe me, I have my own. Uh, well, you <laughs> my know, own. I think I must have been drunk at a party one night and and annoyed him or did something because I, I know friends. We have mutual friends, and I know that they've dropped my name to him. And then Denison Magazine comes out, and last year they had an entertainment uh, issue, and he was on the cover. And Jennifer Garner, who also went to Denison, and Michael Eisner, and some wow. other people were in the magazine. But I was on this little tiny. This was before AGT. I was this little tiny. Uh, like quarter page thing on the back cover on the inside of the back cover. So uh, I certainly wasn't prominently featured, but I was That's featured in it. Crazy. And they, he, so he had to know, you know, that had to be next to his toilet, like it was in my house for a month. And I'm sure he saw it, but uh, he has yet to. So I keep calling him out whenever I do radio shows or TV when I do a local market. I oh my gosh! Throw him under the bus and say, "Come on, dude!" And I will continue it until he puts me in one of his movies. <laughs> Well, again, you're you're doing so amazing with your career, so I understand that. I understand the bitterness, believe me. Um, yeah. But you have. I mean, if you want to kind of take it in that direction, you have done some really cool stuff in terms of some major product commercials. Tell us a little bit about those and, and how did you get involved in those? Was that through management? Um, that, know. I, you know, that was another situation where I kind of just stepped in leprechaun droppings or something. I was a comedian okay. in Boston, and Boston is a much smaller pond, and I was a bigger fish in the voiceover world up there. They, uh, a uh, producer of a of uh, at Hill Holiday was the actual advertising agency. They wanted a comedic voice for something, a young Gen X comedic voice for uh, a local Massachusetts lottery commercial. So uh, there were only, you know, maybe 15 of us that auditioned, and I ended up getting it. And then from there, they once they had me do the lottery commercials, they liked uh, how those came out. And so I wouldn't even have to audition up there, and I would, you know, get a lot of stuff. And that was when I was, you know, I got tapped hard lead into the unions after and Screen Actors Guild for commercials. Okay. And commercials were paying... 90% of my bills at the time. I mean, there's the, those pay pretty well, and comedy wasn't paying well at the time. I was kind of new at comedy. So uh, I was doing a bunch of those voiceover things, and it's it's really a scam. I mean, you get out, roll out of bed. You don't have to take a shower. You throw a baseball cap on, and you right. go into a <laughs> recording booth, and you read something, and as many you, and it's called paper play. It's residual. So every time that ad airs, you get paid. So, you know, some of these ads uh, I would record in 15 minutes, but they'd run for years. So th that was a really great scam that I did for a while. And that's what really moved me to New York from Boston was okay. the voiceover thing because I was, uh, you know, I was uh, being luckily being pretty successful at that. So and some about casting agents comments. from New York – I'm sorry. How long? How long ago was that about with, with all the voiceovers? Uh, it started in the early '90s and ran okay. for a while, wow. and then uh, it, you know it's an interesting business. Uh, you know, I I did that for a while. I moved to New York, signed with ICM in New York for for 
voiceovers and for on-camera commercials. Mm -hmm. And I did way more voiceover stuff, which is radio commercials, announcers, and, you know, characters on radio spots and TV spots than I did on-camera stuff. And the reason for that is I have a great face for radio, and it's okay. I understand that. But, oh, stop. Uh, You're I was, very good. Okay. I was a... <laughs> I was a, a much smaller fish in a bigger pond in New York City. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were so many more people, and that's where Madison Avenue is. So uh, there were many more auditions and then many more opportunities, but I was having to audition against hundreds of people, whereas before I was, you know, auditioning against dozens. So now I hardly do any of those anymore because now instead of auditioning versus hundreds of people, now you're auditioning versus thousands of people. Right. Because with new technology, anyone can audition. Yep. You just you need a laptop and you can walk into your walk in closet and that's your sound booth and just do an MP three and mail it, you know, email it in. So uh, instead of having these big casting sessions in New York City, everybody's doing MP3 auditions and mailing them in, and you can be doing them from Duluth, Minnesota. You don't have to be wow. in New York or L.A. anymore. And the other thing is celebrities came aboard and started to I, – I was the voice of Sam Adams' beer for a while up in Boston for a long time, and then Kiefer Sutherland came around and oh. took it from me. And, uh, you know, that happened a lot. Now you hear a lot more celebrities doing these things because the celebrities realize that, you know, they might be – um, filming a movie a couple months out of a year, but the rest of the time they could get in on the scam. So they're all doing it now. They're all doing uh, voiceovers for many, many products internationally. Sure. Because some of them do a lot of commercials overseas too. And that took a lot of work away from uh, those of us who were kind of below the radar. And uh, mm -hmm. as I watched that ship kind of sinking, uh, that's when, thank God, comedy was kind of, uh, on the rise for me. So it, it, it all played in well. It was a great day job for a while while I pursued comedy and it paid my bills. Um, but the ironic thing is uh, back then I was single and I was mm -hmm. maxing out, you know, you, there are thresholds and I was making the, the, all the requirements to get full health, dental, pension, all that stuff. And now that I'm married with children, now I don't reach almost any of the, you know, I reach the minimum goals for health, dental, and so now I have to pay a lot more than I did back then. Back then, my insurance and everything else was all covered, and now, right. unfortunately, it's not. Oh, but, but yeah. now you're definitely in a different place than you were back then. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what was the industry like when you were starting out? Because, I mean, it is a little different today. A lot of comedians I speak with, you know, say a lot of the clubs are closing down. It's 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 more difficult in terms of, getting the stage time than maybe it was back then. Do you see that happening? Is you know, what's your perspective? That is absolutely accurate, Carrie. When I right. started, I got in right at the end of the boom in Boston, which is where I, I started. In Boston it was the rock and roll of the eighties, stand up comedy was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there every place had comedy. You know, the people say Boston is colleges, bars and hospitals, basically. And it is. But every bar had a comedy night. So wow. you know, there were comics who were sitting at home their first day off in 14 days, and the phone would ring off the hook with club owners saying, I've got an audience, I have no comedians, please, please, come in. And they were making money hand over fist. And this is like wow. now they pay people, they, they, they give free tickets. The scam now is you give someone a free ticket to get into a comedy club, but then you tell me it was a two-drink minimum and a Budweiser is 15 bucks. So that's how they make their money now, right. the club owners. Back then, people were just so enamored by stand-up comedy. It was kind of, uh, you know, kind of new, as it were. It was a, a, a kind of a, a American art form like jazz. It was unique. And in Boston, the talent pool was really deep. Back then, it was Jay Leno and Stephen Wright and all those guys. And so I, when I got in, the headliners were saying to me, oh, I feel bad for you. You missed the boom by a couple of years. It's it's crashing and burning now. Now there's only three open mics this week. And and I would have a pity party saying, oh, boo-hoo, there's only three times for me to get up on stage uh, <laughs> at three open mic nights. Well, now there's no open mic nights. Now there's so rarely yeah. do you find an open mic night. Now if you want to get on stage, you have to produce your own show at a comedy club or you have to do what they call a bringer show, which is yep. you have to guarantee yep. – the producer or the club owner that you will have 10 or 15 people uh, come and pay admission and get the two drink minimum 
uh, in order for you to get on stage. Well, if that had been the criteria when I started, I probably wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have wanted to harass my friends and family into coming to see me just so I could get on stage. So that would have been a deal breaker for me. Right. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, so yeah, it's you much different. A, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, and I always appreciate when Howard even talks about the music industry because, you know, that's another industry today that is just so different with the social media and everyone, like you said, having your own pro tours at home, you know, doing your own independent stuff. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's a very different world for the entertainment industry. Everything's evolving. And the whole entertainment industry is evolving dramatically. And, right. and you know, this evolution, you can either ride the wave or you can step back. When reality shows came out, we all thought they were the devil because they were killing the right. sitcom. So we stood back and said, oh, you know, I'm not going to be a participant in that. That's killing my, you know, there used to be a bunch of sitcoms on. Now it's all mm-hmm. these reality shows. Well, uh, you can beat them or you can join them. Now I chose to join them, and it worked out pretty well for me. But I know other people, purists, comedy purists, are still bitter and won't have anything to do with reality TV. But if you want to get on TV, unfortunately, that's the, the best way to do it. And what this is what changed it. Back in the day, the last season of Friends, each cast member was making a million dollars. So you had mm-hmm. $6 million each week being paid just to the cast, let alone the production costs, which are over a million dollars. That same season, I was on Last Comic Standing. That was season two of Last Comic Standing. And the okay. grand prize after 13 episodes of Last Comic Standing was, was fifty million or $50,000. It was a development deal worth $50,000. So if you're NBC and the ratings aren't that dramatically different, are you going to go with the show that costs you so little you're paying SAG minimums to all the people on it and you only have to give away fifty grand at the end, or are you going to go with the show that costs you know, $6 million just to right. pay the cast each week? So it was a no-brainer, and that's why reality is the beast that it is now. I know, and it's it's so funny you say that, Tom, because I remember I was like in my doctor program on internship when reality to shows were just kind of starting to make their way. And I remember sitting around with a group of interns, and I said, and I was very interested in social psychology and just media psychology. I'm, I'm still fascinated with that stuff. And I said to them, "You wait. This this is not ending." And they're like, "Oh, this is never going to last." And I said, and you know, fast forward, you know, a bunch of years later, and it's it's bigger than ever, like you're saying. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. People thought it was a fad. They thought rap music was a fad. They thought reality TV was a fad. And these things are here to stay. And you can either embrace them or you can, you know, be uh, kind of disenfranchised from the outside looking in. Right. And I think think there's a different perspective to look at it from, too. I mean, in psychology, we always talk about reframing things. And I don't think you have to look at it in a bad way, like some comedians you say, say you're joining them or you're, you know, you're kind of selling out by doing that. But I think strategically, you know, I think you made a good point by joining them, you're actually getting opportunities by getting your face, like you're saying, on TV that you might not otherwise have. So tell us a little bit about, was that the show Too Funny, the one that you and your wife did? Yep, we did the show okay. Too Funny on the Women's Entertainment Network, which was incredibly emasculating because it was uh, <laughs> on a women's network, and it was uh, the target demographic was Midwestern uh, housewives. That's basically who the audience oh, was. And uh, it was okay. We did six episodes before we got canceled, and it was fine. They came to us with it. We weren't looking for this. They Someone mm-hmm. saw us on Last Comic Standing. We were the only married couple on Last Comic Standing, and right. so they had this epiphany that, wow, that might be funny if they have kids. And it turns out we had just had twin boys. So Aww. they thought, wow, that'll be a that'll be a great show. And uh, it was fun to do, and it started my twins and their college fund and everything. It was great. I'm glad we did it. But mm-hmm. uh, it was just woefully underfunded, and they were literally uh, making the, the editing decisions. The editors were film students at uh, UCLA. And USC, okay. and that so they were these were unpaid interns were editing the show. So that that shows you where the budget was being spent. Certainly not on on us, and not on uh, important right. things like the editing of the show. So, but it was fun. It was a fun experience. That's cool. No, that's cool. And so, and again, you're you're setting the interview up just perfectly for me. So tell me, and you don't have to get into details, but I just just out of curiosity, where did you meet your wife and? When did you meet her? And I'm curious to know what it's like to be uh, married to another comedian and any challenges that come along with that. I uh, I married – well, I fell in love with her for her name. 
her name's Carrie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she was a comic. I was a comic. We were both in Boston. Mm-hmm. And my roommate at the time had the hots for her, so she was kind of forbidden fruit, and so I wouldn't even talk to her, really. And then right. uh, she and I did a gig together, and I, uh, you know, we kind of were flirting with each other. It was up in New Hampshire over New Year's. And then uh, in the course of hanging out with her and talking with her, I learned that she had absolutely no interest in my roommate. So uh, before I could proceed, I had to get the okay from him. So I called him and said, look, dude, she's uh, not not interested in you anymore because I didn't want to break the guy code. And he said, yeah, that's all right. I'm already barking up another tree. And so that was a green light for me. And then I uh, you know, started right. asking her out, and we, we started dating. And she had promised herself because she had dated a few comics, and I had dated a few comics. And so I said, there's no way I'm going to date another comic. And she had sworn that she would never date another comic. We were only <laughs> going to be with civilians. And here we are, you know, this, we just had our 12th anniversary, and we were together six years before we got married. So wow. we've been together for quite some time. Congratulations. And three kids. And yeah, three great. Kids, that's we right. like it. Aww. And she went there, further than I, mean, I did on Last Comic Standing, and I hear about okay. that every time we have an argument. And now my <laughs> payback was America's Got Talent. So. Oh, but it sounds like, I mean, ultimately it sounds like you guys are very supportive of each other or it probably wouldn't have lasted as long as it has. We are, Carrie, and it's it's rare. It really is rare. That's the reason they gave us that stupid show on the Women's Entertainment Network. There just aren't that many married right. comedy couples. And it, it's uh, it's just difficult. You know, if you're a comedian, you don't have health insurance. Uh, right. You don't have a 401K. You don't have any of those things. So most of my comedian friends are married to civilians, if you will, to nine-to-fivers who have sure. a retirement plan, who have health and dental, who have, uh, you know, kind of job security and all right. the things that comedy isn't. So Carrie and I knew that going into it, and we rolled the dice and said, you know, love conquers all, and we will we will overcome these things. And uh, thank God for well, <laughs> America's Got Talent and some of the other little things that we've done along the way because uh, those have been blessings to a, a, a – I mean, we have such a horribly underfunded retirement plan right now, so that's why this show helped me quite a bit this last year. Right. Oh. Well, again, I'm sure with everything you're doing, it's just going to continue going uphill even more and more for you, Tom. But. Let's also, um, I wanted to play one bit tonight for you because it's one of my favorite ones, and I think you used the perfect words, and I cut some of the beginning out so it doesn't have any uh, connection to anything, so to speak, if you know what I mean. But you talk about rolling dice, and uh, I'm remembering the time when you did that on EGT. But um, tell us a little bit about, and I'm really curious to know, because I just, I love your style. I love how it looks like you're taking the audience in one direction and you're just so quick to just kind of turn it around and go somewhere else. And I think it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's very intelligent comedy. It's very creative comedy. I don't see a lot of that. Um, so tell us a little bit about the uh, poor examples and the nursery rhymes and, and how did you even, like, what sparked your interest? Like, were you reading something to your kids? How did you come up with that concept? Yeah, you write what you know. And, Kerry, right now I know my three sons. They are my muse. And so uh, a lot of what I've written in the last three or four years has been about parenting and about kids and about how we're raising our children because that's right in my wheelhouse right now. That's my life experience. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, ten years ago I didn't have a single one of those jokes because it just wasn't in my vernacular. I wasn't dealing with that on a day-to-day basis. But now I am. So, yeah, we were – I was reading Mother Goose um, nursery rhymes. And uh, it occurred to me that some of them were kind of creepy. And then I was talking to friends of mine, and they they had the same epiphany I did. They said, you know, yeah, I was thinking of this one. You know, uh, like, for example, Humpty Dumpty, he falls on the wall. No one can put him back together again. He's dead. I mean, that's a sad story. He's a dead Dumpty. Right. And we're reading that to kids. And uh, although I don't do that part in my act, that was just one example that someone gave me. And there's so many others. And some of these things are really twisted. They go back to the Middle Ages. Uh, Ring Around the Rosie was about children dying during the bubonic plague. And yet it's a little wow. nursery rhyme, sing-songy thing we sing in every nursery school. So that got me thinking about that and about, uh, you know, just kind of screwed up things we do with parenting and the games that we teach children to play and how hypocritical some of them are. And, uh, you know, we tell them to do one thing, yet the games teach something completely different. And some of them actually foster bad behavior. So that's what made me think about 
that chunk of my act. And that's a fun cool. chunk to keep thinking about. And people come up to me after shows and say, hey, I love that bit, uh, but did you ever think about this one? And they'll tell me, you know, the Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater had a wife and couldn't keep her, and he put her in a pumpkin shell. He imprisoned his wife for years so she couldn't <laughs> run off with someone else. And, that, you know, I can't make that funny in my act. I don't have a line for it yet, but that is disturbing, right. and yet it's, it's something that kids recite every single day in this country. So it's funny. Right. Cool. Funny right, to me so in a twisted way. Absolutely, and again, with my psychology and working in corrections and prisons and all that good stuff, I just find this stuff uh, very entertaining, to say the least. So, um, okay, I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to check out that bit, and then we're going to come back and uh, talk about upcoming shows and a lot of other good stuff, right? Okay, sure. Okay, hold on. All right, everyone, again, you are listening to the comedian Tom Cotter. We are going to play one of his bits titled Poor Examples, and it deals with children's nursery rhymes. So let's check it out, and we'll be back in a moment. I think we are poor examples for our children sometimes. I know I am. We don't mean to be. You tuck a kid into bed at night, what's the last thing you say? Don't let the bed bugs bite. Oh, no potential for nightmares there, is there? The last image you're putting in your kid's head before he goes to sleep is being attacked by insects. Pleasant dreams. Or ladybug, ladybug, fly away home, your house is on fire, your children are gone. Who writes this stuff? Stephen King? I met an old woman who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. Another heartwarming story for the kids. We've weird, demented images we put in their heads, like uh, Beauty and the Beast. Remember the story? The girl falls in love with a yak. Or a water buffalo, whatever the hell that thing was. It was huge, hairy, it had horns, and it was wrong on many levels. Sleeping Beauty. Remember this story? The girl passes out, and the guy starts kissing her. That's illegal, ladies and gentlemen. Georgie Porgy, pudding and pie, kissed the girls and made them cry. Sexual harassment. Sexual assault. Rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub. Oh, that's a good image for the kids. Why don't we have a picture of them lathering each other up? Wouldn't that be nice for little Billy? For the better part of 50 years, Donald Duck has been walking around in front of his nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, with a shirt on, no pants. Explain that. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Do you remember Snow White? Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, one hot chick and seven middle-aged dwarves. That's an adult film, ladies and gentlemen. Every day they go off to work and call her a prostitute. Hi-ho, hi-ho. That's not right. I'm Tom Cotter. You're awesome. All right, everyone. Again, amazing. I just love that stuff. Tom Cotter, everyone, you have to check him out to see him live, though, and uh, really get a taste of his comedy because he mentioned to me that he really brings that to another level on the live shows that he couldn't uh, do on public uh, family TV, so to speak. So please check them out. Go to TomCotter.com, and you can see all of his upcoming events, shows, and uh, more good stuff on him. So let's bring him back on. All right, I'm back. great stuff. Like herpes. <laughs> You're back. Oh, gosh, I love the Donald Duck bit. That is just hysterical. <laughs> For the better yeah, half. Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. That bit, when I do it in a club, is like five to seven minutes long. On that show, oh. it's 90 seconds. You only get 90 seconds, so I had to cut out right. a lot of it uh, to do that and, you know, kind of thin the herd and get rid of setups and just do punchlines. So that's the challenge of that show. And it's not just my cross to bear. I mean, everybody, the, the musical acts uh, take mm-hmm. a five-minute song and chop it down to 90 seconds. You only get 90 seconds. So that's the challenge of America's Got Talent. Last Comic Standing was two minutes, and comics used to complain about that. Well, you're getting a full 30 seconds less to do America's Got right. Talent. So uh, that, that, that became the challenge at each level of the competition, from the quarterfinals to the semifinals to the finals. And that was uh, really a daunting task every time. But it was, it was fun to kind of cram for that term paper, if you will. Right, right. So why don't tell us a little bit about, since we're on the topic of AGT, when did you decide you were going to try out for it? Like, was there something that happened? Did your wife say, you got to do this? You know, when was that moment that you said, okay, I think this is uh, this would be a good decision to try to, you know, make it onto the show? Well, you know, and again, touching on things we talked about in the past, uh, 
reality TV is huge. Primetime mm-hmm. network television is huge. And America's mm-hmm. Got Talent is a behemoth because it's a giant, it's a ratings juggernaut. Plus, it's a huge smash because it's up against reruns. Because it's on during the summer, all the other shows are on hiatus during the summer, so they're just playing reruns. So mm-hmm. it's almost an unfair advantage to do that show. So I've been tempted for, you know, this, I did season six or seven, whatever it was, of America's Got Talent. But for the five or six previous seasons, Everyone, everybody in the industry who knows me, and I've been around for a quarter of a century, so a lot of people know what I do, have been saying to me, you've got to do the show because your act is very rapid fire. And so you could cram a mm-hmm. lot into 90 seconds, more than a lot of other comics could. And because I do a series of one-liners, that's kind of what I do. And so you can get a lot more bang for the buck, punchline-wise, than other people. My wife, for example, who's a long storyteller, a la Bill Cosby, um, would have a difficult time on the show because it takes her 30 seconds to say hello, you know. Whereas I'm much more, uh, I, I'm just it's so into it, that, you know, if I'm, I'm into the next joke. If you didn't get it, then tough. Uh, right. We're just going to, that's what I do. So uh, for six seasons, everyone was saying, you got to go out for this, you got to go out for this. And I kept saying no, because Pierce Morgan was one of the judges. And Pierce Morgan okay. didn't like comedians. So every time a comedian was on, oh. he would butcher them. And no comedians were making it past the quarterfinals ever And uh, while well, he was a judge. And he would not only help your career, not help your career, he would set it back. He would say things like, you're not funny, you weren't original, I didn't laugh. And wow. I said, I'll be damned if I'm going to get up in front of 19 million people and have some British guy, you know, rip me a new one right. in front of everybody. So. Uh, when he left and Howard Stern came on last year, last year was Howard Stern's first year replacing yep. Pierce as a judge, that was my window of opportunity. That that was when, you know, the people who had been in my ear all the time about going on the show finally got to me, and I said, oh, what the hell. So I got a call from the Friars Club telling me that they were doing the, the castings down at the Javits Center, and I said, well, I, I want to do the show, but I'm not going to stand in line like everybody else for, you know, 12 hours to get uh, an audition. And and they said, well, you know, if you have an agent or a manager, you can cut that time down dramatically wow. to like a three-hour commitment. So I said, all right. So we arranged it so that I would go in, and I went in, and uh, I got the call back that very same day. So I went in for a junior producer, and the junior producer uh determines whether or not you're worthy to be moved on to the executive producer and the NBC executives. And then you go into that room, and that's daunting. It's it's like Mount Rushmore. They don't even crack a smile. They just stare at you <laughs> while you're doing your act. But I knew oh, it was going God. pretty well because the camera guys were all laughing. So uh, I did that, and then they said, uh, we'll get back to you. And then uh, about a month later, I got a phone call saying, all right, they, we want you to go up in front of the celebrity judges. And, of course, that was Howard Stern, Howie Mandel, and Sharon Osbourne, who has since right. left the show. Sharon's moved on. And yep. uh, I said, okay. And I went in, and I, I the deck was stacked horribly against me. It was the last city that they had gone to to see uh, all these people. They had gone to St. Louis and San Francisco and Austin, Texas, and New Orleans and all these cities, L.A., and uh, so New York was their last stop, and they did mm-hmm. two shows. And this was I was on the second show, so the last show in the last city. Oh, and I was number 16 out of 18 acts. So wow. I was just like, this is going to suck horribly. And uh, two friends of mine who were comics, who were identical twins, they're a comedy team, they went up about uh, midway through my show. They were also on my show. And they got horribly booed off stage. And where they were holding really? us, the holding area, you could hear the X's and you could hear the booing. So that's just a horrible thing to creep into your head before you're about to take the stage. But wow. for whatever reason, uh, they the, the person who went on before me was an opera singer who was horrible. So the audience was kind of uh, starved for something. And <laughs> they were very, very nice to me. And uh, Howie and Howard and Sharon, all three said wonderful things. And they moved me on to the Vegas round. And then in Vegas, uh, there were six comics, and two of us made it out of Vegas, two out of six. And then mm-hmm. two of us made it all the way to the semifinals, and then the the other comic, a younger guy, a uh, funny guy, got eliminated in the semis, and then I, uh, the rest is history, as it were. Wow. that's such, It's such an amazing story to hear 
just the different, like you're saying, the levels and the different things you had to go through because you never think about all that stuff in the behind the scenes. Um, what was it like for you the first night that you did have to go out live on the TV, like you're saying, in front of 19 million people? Well, I, you know, I did the the one at the first interview in front of the celebrity judges was actually pre-taped. We filmed that in March, and it okay. didn't air until May 22nd. So, but still, okay. uh, you know, there were 4,000 people there, and they were a New York right. crowd. So I felt comfortable, and I've been in New York for 16 years. I felt comfortable mm-hmm. with New York audience, but they had been drinking. And again, I was number 16 out of 18. The night was getting late. They were drunker every minute, and they were. Those audiences are told two things: you either love the act or you hate the act. There's no middle ground. So if you wow. love the act, you give them a huge standing ovation and chant Vegas. If you don't like the act, you boo them off stage horribly, and you make an X with your arms in front of your face, and it's really <laughs> a horrible situation. So you're just praying that your first joke hits. And thank God my first joke hit because they didn't have time to start, you know, the rumblings of booing. Plus, it's all Howard Stern fans in the audience now, right. too, and oh, they can be a little rough. <laughs> so uh, so that was, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I opened the other night for Barry Manilow in front of 10,000 women. So, you know, I, big audiences don't nice. daunt me as much as they used to. But mm-hmm. live is a different beast. Uh, when you did the, when you came out of Vegas, so for the quarterfinals, the semifinals, the finals, and the finale, those were all, I mean, 5,000 people in the New Jersey Performing Arts Center plus uh, anywhere from 10 to 20 million people watching at home. For watching. the finale, it was like right. 18.9 or something like that. So uh, it's a lot of eyeballs to have on you. and. Normally, I can just poo-poo that and say, you know, these are faceless people. I, I'm not, I have nothing invested in these people, so right, uh, you know, right. I, I, I'm not going to let it get to me. However, in this case, my dad was in the audience, my brothers and sisters were in the audience, my wife, my children were in the audience, our neighbors. Aww. So uh, you could argue that I never had more of a vested interest in pleasing the crowd than ever before, and so that was uh, very tense. Plus, you know, you got to bang it out in 90 seconds. And every level past Vegas, I really felt, and this is my own insecurity perhaps, but I really felt like I didn't belong because I I had in my head that I wanted to make it to the quarterfinals. That was my ultimate goal because that's what every comic had made it to in the years past. And I thought, you know, if I can make it to that, then I won't embarrass myself and uh, I'll be kind of par. And so that was fine. So everything above that was just kind of shocking to me. And to be standing there at the end when it was just down to me and the dog act was just you know, my head was spinning uncontrollably. I just was like, what the hell is going on? Because everyone I had picked to to win the thing had had been eliminated. So uh, I was like, because I thought the earth harp guy or the sand artist were going to win the thing, which is why I showed up with a leaf blower and wire cutters. But they did not win, and uh, it was just he and I, the the dog act, and I standing there, and I'm like, oh, my God. So that's how that works. Oh, so amazing. But either way, I mean, you're a major success in the show. Just like you said in your bio and stuff, it's definitely catapulted you to another level. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's phenomenal. Really cool. So now again, we're about, you know, oh, we all do these late-night TV shows as comics. Uh, you know, we, we either do right. Leno or Letterman or Kimmel or Conan or, you know, now there's Jimmy Fallon and there's Ferguson. And, you know, we've all done a handful of them. Uh, if you've been at it a while. But nobody really watches those anymore, and they don't really do anything for your career. Whereas before, when it was just Johnny Carson, that was an anointing. When he summoned you over to the couch, that you made it. You know, your phone was ringing off the hook the next day, and you were then a star. Uh, But now that it's all been watered down by so many of these late-night shows, that uh, the fact that I got that many eyeballs on me and primetime network television, which is just a huge audience. Right. Uh, it dwarfs everything late night. Uh, that was uh, that. That's something that I could never ask for. You know, I mean, I, could, I, I, I just, um, it's an unbelievable blessing for me, and I got very lucky. I was in the right place at the right time, and uh, it's, it's really been just the best year of my life. That's great. That's really great. So I don't, I don't want to knock you down, but what was your? We're talking about all this, this wonderful, great stuff. What was your worst comedy experience, like the worst oh, gig God. that you can recall? I have, I mean, I could I'm do sure a million many, of these. But... I, I have literally <laughs> done the cancer benefit uh, for St. Jude's uh, 
hospital where they did the slideshow of all the kids with bald heads who are going through chemo and radiation. And, okay. uh, you know, there's not a dry eye in the house. And as soon as they click that last slide to get everyone to give money uh, and everyone's bawling their eyes out, the guy says, well, I think we could all use a laugh now. Please welcome Tom Cotter. And I got to dig out of that hole from the first 15 minutes of my act, trying to get them oh to, my. you know, switch gears dramatically from brutal sadness to giggles and titters and ha-ha. So, uh, I mean, I've literally done that. Every comic has a story like that. Uh, wow. But I I also did, you know, when I first moved to New York, you wanted any kind of work you could get. And so we had these things called prom shows, which were after the prom, uh, your parents would arrange something for you to go to do so you didn't get in trouble. <laughs> so they would, uh, one of the things they do is a midnight uh, cruise around New York Harbor. And sometimes they'd have a band, and sometimes they'd have a mm -hmm. band and a comedian. In this particular one, they had a DJ and a comedian, and I was the comedian. And it was two high schools, uh, two high schools together, and they were exact opposites. One was from Westchester, and they were all the rich, preppy kids. And then one was from the Bronx, and they were all, uh, you know, ethnic and uh, from the other side of the tracks, if you will. So they hated right. each other the second they boarded this stupid boat. And there were going to be fights, and there were. And they were all in these rented tuxedos, and it was horrible. So halfway through the cruise, we go out and we circle uh, the Statue of Liberty and go around, and no one can drink, so they're all bitter, and they're angry that their parents made them go on this God-forbidden boat uh, when they'd much rather be on some road with their boyfriend or girlfriend sucking face. So they're there, they're hostile, and then it's time for me to tell jokes. Well, the DJ has the microphone that's got a cord on it. It's wired and it's perfect and it sounds great. And he hands me the cordless microphone with the batteries. However, the batteries are shot. So the mic keeps going in and out. So you're getting like every third oh, word, uh, 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 that right. kind of thing. So I'm dying a horrible death in front of all these high school kids who want to mutiny. I mean, they want to kill me. They want to kill the captain. They want to kill each other. And uh, it's going horribly because the microphone's not working. And the DJ starts heckling me on the microphone that does work. So oh, no. he's just abusing me. And I can't even come back at him because I don't have a microphone that's working. So it was a horrible, horrible show. Oh, and I wanted so to get sorry. paid, so I did my uh, whole amount of time, which was half an hour. And it was the longest half an hour of my entire existence. And then I was stuck on the boat afterwards. I can't just go lick my wounds somewhere. i got to stay on right. the boat with these kids <laughs> until the boat goes back into the, the harbor. And it was just uh, brutal. And I, every time I'd walk by these kids say. in their rented tuxedos, they'd go, you suck. And taking crap from oh. a high school kid is just tough. So that, that that was another one. I've had a million of them. I mean, yeah, I, okay, those, those were definitely a lot thank of those. you for sharing that. Those are definitely uh, yeah. two of the yeah, definitely. Um, Every comic that's been at it for a long time has, uh, you know, I could write a book with all this, the horrible right. shows that I've had and the embarrassing <laughs> situations where I've had to be escorted out of the club by the bouncers because someone wants to kill me or uh, things like that. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Any interest, Tom, in doing a one-man show? I'd love to see you do a one-man show. Uh, you know, right now it's uh, – this is – Career-wise, the best year of my life. So sure. uh, I'm um, doing what I love to do, which is performing stand-up, and it is, mm -hmm. you know, kind of a one-man show. Uh, but right. it's me doing my stand-up for an hour, and I love doing that. And I'm getting paid way more than I ever got paid to do it. And I kind of have to strike while the iron's hot. And oh, so that's what I'm doing now. I can't even fathom doing a one-man show right now. I have entertained the thought in years past. My wife did a play for a while, and uh, I was in a play with a bunch of other comics called two, uh, no, I'm sorry, called uh, Pastrami on Rye with Mayo, and that was a fun experience. But uh, we had, to, you know, there were four comics in the show, and we had to cut the the pay four ways. So right, uh, right now, I'm just trying to. Uh, you know, make sure that I have a retirement fund and that my kids go to yeah. college. So that's what I'm no, doing No, I now. totally – that's the question I wanted to throw out, but I totally understand you need to ride the wave and, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely. I'm not I'm not um, saying I will never do one, though. I would love to do a one-man show at some point in my career, but right now I kind of have to do what I'm doing. Sure, sure. No, absolutely. What about interest in writing a book at some point? I've got uh, – Three in the hopper, believe it or not. One is Ooh. I was a cop on Nantucket 
for a while that was uh, other than stand-up comedy my favorite job ever and the working title is Nantucket 50 and it was just a lot of fun and it's uh just uh, a silly um kind of based on reality uh show that I mean okay. um, book that I would do and hopefully get that turned into a movie at one point and then the other two are a book of poems I'm a horrible poem and I would call it pitiful poetry and uh, <laughs> that's something that I've been doing since I first got out of college, so I have volumes of it. Um, and most of them are of the humorous nature, but some of them are can be kind of serious. And then the okay. third one is uh, a, kind of a parody on uh, parent cliches or parent advice. It's an advice nice. book for parents, but it's bad. And the working title for that would be The Bad Dad's Guide to Raising a Douchebag. And that is... Uh, <laughs> It's just horrible, horrible advice that you would never take. Right. That's great. That's great. Well, if you do release one of those, you'll definitely come, have to come back on to promote that. Um, I shall. It's just you know, really getting cool. them all done. I have I have all these projects that I just have to finally put the final touches on and get them done. My manager's all over me about that, but I'm wow. just incredibly busy right now. So. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I can't even imagine. What's something interesting about yourself, hobby-wise? I know you don't have time to probably do anything, but is there anything interesting growing up that you did or that you enjoy doing when you do have a, a free minute? Uh, you know, lately, uh, it just because you're bringing this up, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been discussing this with my wife. Uh, I've never been a comedy purist, so I don't poo-poo. Like a lot of comedy purists uh, would be guys who just are monologists, and they say it should be you, the microphone, and the audience. That's it. Mm-hmm. It should no bells and whistles, nothing else. But I've always thought that ventriloquists were very funny, and if they made, and it's a skill, and if you can make the mm-hmm. audience laugh, who am I to poo-poo what you do? And the same is of comedy teams. Some people think comedy teams are hacky, uh, and some people think that guitar acts are hacky when they do song parodies. Well, now I've done the comedy team thing with my wife, the out of necessity. People have made us do it because it's such a novelty. Nobody else is doing the husband and wife comedy Mm -hmm. team thing. So we just filmed that Nick Mom's thing recently, and we're, you know, people keep asking us to do that. I bought a ventriloquist figure about three years ago on eBay, and I started just clowning around with it with my children and um having fun with them with it but uh and now and I've always played guitar poorly but I've always played really? guitar and nice. yeah and so uh and and I've written song parodies now I've never done them but uh <laughs> I'm not above doing any of those things I would love to have a variety show one night where I oh, uh cool. have my wife come out and do the comedy team thing do my regular stand up but then I also do some song parodies I also do impressions. A lot of people don't know that I do impressions, uh, but I do. And wow. uh, and then also, you know, do a little ventriloquism. And that would be a fun kind of show to do. And a lot of my friends who are these comedy purists will definitely uh, abuse me verbally for doing that. But I think it would be a lot of fun. Well, again, I think it's a lot of fun, but I also think it's you being, you know, realistic with the way the industry is today and if you're just kind of I don't want to say you know a one-stop shop in terms of just one type of act you might be selling yourself short especially if you have other talents kind of that you can develop further and that's the other thing Carrie my act is hard to write for that that style of misdirection is kind of hard to write for so I'm not banging out a brand new hour every year so if I want my audiences when I go to these clubs now I want them to keep coming back to see me because, you know, pardon my language, but asses and seats is more money for me. You know, the the more right. people you can pack into a, a theater or a comedy club, the more money you make. And the club owner's happy and everybody's happy. But to do that, you have to mix up your act a little bit. You can't have them come back and see, um, you know, thing. an act oh, yeah. that they've seen before. So uh, to do that, I have to add some more elements. So I'm more now than ever entertaining the thought of, the ventriloquism, the guitar, and uh, incorporating my wife into more of these things. Cool. That sounds really cool. Definitely. Yeah, it's fun. So tell us about some upcoming shows, because I know you mentioned you're really going to be doing a lot this summer and going on the road. This, so, you know, plug some yeah. shows. This is hell week for me. This is, uh, it's all kind of, this is, and I've been dreading this when I looked at my calendar because my wife and I uh, both have parents who have places on Cape Cod. So every year for 4th of July, we go up and do uh, at least a week 
uh, in years past, sometimes two weeks, and that's our summer vacation. That's our big summer vacation. Well, this year I can only take a few of it because, again, I'm trying to strike while the iron's hot and everything. But this mm-hmm. week in particular is the week I've been dreading, uh, and this is it. Uh, tomorrow night I'm doing a benefit for Tri-County uh, United Way. It's for a food pantry up in Massachusetts. But the amount of press they've put together for me to do for this thing tomorrow and today is unreal. I mean, I'm probably awesome. doing eight radio stations and two TV stations. Just wow. for, and this is a benefit show. I'm not making any money on this show. This is just for the, the food pantry. And sure. then, so, that, so that's Thursday. I'm sorry, that's Wednesday night. I go up tomorrow because I have to spend the night in Boston because the next morning i got to be on the radio at 6.30. That's the first one. So okay. uh, press tomorrow night. Boston uh, Food Pantry benefit on Wednesday night. Thursday night, I'm at a country club on Long Island. Friday and Saturday, I'm in Rochester, New York at the comedy club, it's called. And then uh, Sunday, i got to come back to Long Island to go out to West Hampton to do the West Hampton Performing Arts Center. That's Sunday. Monday, I'm doing a corporate at 4 in the afternoon in Las Vegas. So my flight out on Monday morning is like Uh, 6 or something. Then uh, from Las Vegas, I go to San Francisco to do press on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Thursday, I fly to Toronto to bang out a quick corporate gig up in Toronto, come back for Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Cobbs in San Francisco, and then come home on Sunday. And then I reboot again because the next weekend I'm out in Denver. And uh, I, that starts early. i got to leave Wednesday to do press on Thursday, and then my shows are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that's uh, wow. it's, it's, it's busy, but the kids are in camp. And I just had a week with them on the Cape, so I don't feel like I'm the absentee dad too much. And Skype right, helps me right. uh, when I get homesick, so it's good. No, that's great. I mean, congratulations, Tom, seriously. I mean, just amazing, everything that you've done and all the, again, hard work that you've put into your career. And it's paid off, and you deserve it, you know? Well, so. I get very lucky, and I, I know I got lucky. It was the right place and the right time, and I'm I'm counting my lucky stars every day about that because there are a lot of guys who've been at this for a quarter century like I and mm-hmm. so many of my friends that uh, could have capitalized if they had give, been given the same opportunity. So I'm uh, sure. I'm very blessed and very lucky, and I know that, and I uh, I will never lose sight of that. That's awesome. No, that's awesome. You can definitely you can definitely tell that you're very humble and you're very grounded, and that's that's really cool. Really cool. I. I Call it like it is. I know I know this industry well enough to know that in the editing on America's Got Talent, they could have butchered me uh, or they could have made me look decent. And they chose right. the latter, and that was nice because on America's Got Talent, they can, you know, on any of these reality shows, they can make you uh, – reality is not always reality. And they can definitely right. play up your backstory or, you know, they can, they can throw you under the bus. And when I did um, Last Comic Standing, they kind of threw me under the bus. And so wow. I know both sides of it now, and I know that I was happy to be in their good graces because uh, what they put forth to America helps America vote for the people, and that's what gets you your notoriety and everything else. So. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I don't want to keep you too long because I know that uh, you have to get back to all your other great stuff and get back on the road, but, Tom, it's been such a pleasure having you on. You're welcome back on any time. I'd love to have you back on in the future. All right? Hey. Your listeners should know that, uh, you know, again, I'm doing like eight radio shows on Wednesday morning, uh, but I've never done some with someone who's so thorough and so, uh, you know, you definitely have all your ducks in a row when you Thank line you. up your guests and do everything. So you really, uh, kudos to you for putting in the effort and really uh, taking care of your guests and making sure that it, the show is going to go off without a hitch. So good Thank for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So please plug, uh, give your, give the audience some plugs where people can find you at. Yeah, all right. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Tom Cotter Comic at Twitter, and that's also my Instagram. And then uh, I'm easy to find. I have three pages on Facebook, a fan page, and then my HET page, and then my regular page on Facebook. And uh, I'm my website is TomCotter.com, and it's C-O-T-T-E-R. Uh, the Comedy Ninja will take you to the same place. And, uh, yeah, keep in touch with my schedule. And if you come out and see me, I guarantee you will laugh. If I have to follow you home and tickle you, you will laugh. And uh, <laughs> I that's know. that. I, I'm definitely going to be on the lookout because I'm going to, you know, I'm in New Jersey. So I definitely will be a look on, on the lookout for some of your shows and try to get Well, let me know when you're coming and I'll see if I can comp you in because you've been so nice. Oh, 
Thank you, Tom. That's really I really appreciate that. Well, Tom, I Honest. wish you much continued success and have a great next couple of weeks. I know they're going to be busy for you, but I'm sure it's going to be amazing. It'll be a blast. Thank you, Carrie. I appreciate it, and good luck Thanks. with the radio show moving forward. Thanks so much, Tom. Same to you. Have a great night. Bye. Okay, bye. All right, everyone, again, Tom Cotter. Check him out at TomCotter.com. If for some reason you tuned in a little late to the show, you can check out the podcast, which will be available after the show is over. If you have a Facebook page, please become a fan of the Kerry Edelman Show on Facebook. It will give you all information on upcoming events, guests, etc. I also have two personal pages on Facebook. I love to keep in touch with people. So befriend me on the one that still has uh, some room because one of them is maxed out. Um, on Twitter at Carrie Edelman. If you follow me, I will follow you. And, um, yeah, so we have some great bands coming up. I'm going to be booking a lot of uh, guests for the upcoming uh, weeks in the summer. Some of the bands include, um, let me think off the top of my head, Eve to Adam is going to come on in September. They're going to be releasing their next album. Also going to be having Redline Chemistry coming on soon, another amazing hard rock band. Um, let me think again. It's been a long, long day. Oh, Soil. Oh, gosh, the metal band Soil. They're coming out with their new album in August, so they'll be coming on the show, too. So we've got really uh, cool guests coming on the show. Please check out, as I mentioned, the podcast. Just scroll through the different pages. You can find out, as I said, comedians, filmmakers, entrepreneurs, um, musicians, and the list goes on. I'm sure there'll be something of interest to you. So tonight, I haven't played a song in a long time. I'm going to close the show with one of these songs off my album. This is the ballad um, that is titled Another Life. So check it out if you like what you hear. You can find my album. It's titled Leave It All Behind and just under my name, Carrie Edelman. It's on iTunes, Amazon Music, uh, CD Baby, and all of the major digital sites. So thanks so much, everyone, again, for tuning in tonight. Again, please check out the podcast if you weren't able to hear the whole interview. And we will be back uh, soon. So just go to the Carrie Edelman uh, show page on Facebook for upcoming dates. Have a great night. 